Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. And Megan, before you leave, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. But how do you guys decide who's going to have to come in on Saturday morning when Brian's off? Do you draw cards or do you... You know, I actually spoke up first. Really? You I wanted did. to do yes. this? <laughs> you like to <laughs> get up on the me, crack huh? of dawn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I they when when openings come up and I am I available, you betcha. All right. Well good. That way Brian could go to the NHL All Star festivities <laughs> because we know that's where he's at. Exactly. And let's see, they don't start till when? So is he going to do the 5K run? That's he's got to rest. Now? He's not doing the 5K run. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to rest up. <laughs> True. Just curious how the newsroom worked. <laughs> yes, we. I step in for my friends. Ah, yeah. well, great. It's good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> yes, folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. What is that front yard? Oh, gosh, somebody drove across it. I can't believe it. Now those tire tracks are compacted down. How about the side landscapes where the gutters keep dumping water? Your specialty garden space. How about a taste of the tropics? How are your house plants? What is a potting mix, and why do I have to worry about potting mix? How to improve your soil? Should you be pruning and shearing things? What about that snow and ice? Should you go out and knock it off? The branches of your trees and everything? Well, how about bugs and diseases? None right now. Yes, they are. They're out there. You just don't know it. They're in diapause or they're in various other stages of hibernation. And using the information I'll share with you, you can make, hopefully, better decisions. My thoughts, orchestrations, hopefully solidify those options with the final judgment, of course, being on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Alex. He's producing. So when you call and with any questions or concerns uh, about your yard, your landscape, or your houseplants, just give Alex your first name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know anything else, like your favorite Zodiac sign or anything along that line. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And during the week, I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation. And I call it a walk and talk. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. I have an email address there and my phone number where I can be reached. So let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Headed from South City on Tucker, on Gravoy, which became Tucker. At 14th Street, close 14th and Clark. Banners wrap around the entrances. The building high above, 
green uplighting. Wow, decals on every door. Two stories high decal of players cover the south-facing windows. Six-foot-high hockey pucks have pictures of individual NHL All-Stars on them. They're all along the sidewalk. And there's U's. They're used to, U's are used, Y-E-W-S are used, U-S-E-D, to dress up the statues of former former Blues players, Al McGinnis, uh, Bernie Federko, and Brett Hall. Engraved bricks below create a plaza-like streak between the statues. The Enterprise Center is this place. St. Louis 2020 NHL All-Star Game, hashtag NHL All-Star. Sign reminds visitors that if you're going to come into the building, clear bag only. You can't bring any kind of bag in of any sort that is not clear. St. Louis Authentics store erupting with hockey stuff. Metro Metro Station across the street. Very busy this early Saturday morning. I mean, this was early. This was a little bit after 6. And Union Station. When you go in, you can see the Ferris wheel. Even though it's several blocks away, it shows you how huge that is. Visible to the west, well, crows, yes, crows are flying over, wondering what's going on. The big parking lot right next to the Enterprise Center, it was empty right now. And actually, uh, 14th Street, no, Clark Street, is called Brett Hall All-Star Avenue. A video camera guy was shooting upwards of various, I don't know what he was actually shooting, but uh, he kept moving around and getting different angles of the building just in general. And as I said before, the top of the Enterprise Center is uplit with green. So Enterprise related to green, even though it's blues playing in there. Quite a day at the Enterprise Center. So if you're coming down, just realize that expect all kinds of great, exciting type stuff going on. So again, 314 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Questions, comments, concerns, or ideas? Give us a call. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Boy, this past week. When you look out at night at the, you know, at the streetlights, you'd see the snow coming down. Unbelievable. The snowflakes were huge, and that certainly meant that they were very wet. And I went to bed that night thinking, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be super cold, and everything's going to be just frozen. And it wasn't. I mean, it was really kind of interesting that there was less snow when I went to bed than when I got up. So that meant it was melting through the night. So... This weather is just, I mean, it's typical, classic. You never know what's really going to happen, weather. And the plant material, the same way. We've had people call and say, well, I've got daffodil foliage that's up about three or four inches. And three or four inches, even on the south side of your house, I mean, that's, we're still going to have some cold weather, I'm sure. At least I would think, I'm sure. How can I say I'm sure about anything related to the weather? But the foliage is going to be damaged, but it won't really impact as far as the flowering goes because the flower buds are not open up, are not pushing up above the ground yet. So just be you know cautious and careful about that. Let's head to South City and go into Ed's yard. Hi, Ed. Good good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike. I want to put some ajugas in my front yard underneath a redbud tree. 
Is that bad idea because of how close the roots are to the surface of a tree? No, it doesn't really matter. The ajuga will move itself around it, and ajuga is uh, kind of a great you know ground cover. Just make sure that that I'm assuming is probably a fairly well drained area because redbud trees need a well drained situation. But if it's not well drained, then you're going to get rot on the ajuga, and it's not going to be very successful at all. No, um, the, the uh, redbud tree is just massive, Mike, you know, so I'm assuming that the soil, you know, is the way it likes it. Right. So just, uh, you know, just realize that you, you're not going to be able to install the ajuga, you know, every six inches or anything like that. Just sort of plant it around where you see the surface roots and just let it infill the best way it can. It's probably never going to create an entire carpet, but it'll still make it uh, look really pretty nice. Well, the reason I really wanted the Ajuga, Mike, a relative of mine has some in his yard, and he shot me some photos last spring of the way the, uh, the Ajuga just attracted the bees. Right. You know, so I'm just trying to do my part to help out. All right. Well, great. Well, that's Thank very you for nice. your help, Mike. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Also, uh, head out into your yard. Uh, It's probably a little bit damp, but not horribly damp. And start looking around for those cool season, you know, annual weeds. We've got the perennial weeds for sure. But the annual weeds are really now starting with this little bit warmer weather and everything else. They did fine through the wintertime. But, you know, what's happening The more and more seeds are germinating, so we're going to see henbit and dead nettle. Those are both, you know, types of lamium, basically. Lamium is a ground cover that you buy. You're going to see chickweed, annual bluegrass. You're going to see Persian speedwell, and that's really flat on the ground type of uh, veronica with small blue flowers. There's rabbit foot clover, shepherd's purse as well. So all those guys are, you know, really kind of taking off. And... You know, I minimize the amount of herbicides that I put in my yard from the simple fact that I just kind of like to see what happens realistically so I can monitor and just watch. And for the most part, I do hand digging with, you know, all these kind of weeds. But uh, I'm already starting to see some henbit and some chickweed. I haven't seen any annual bluegrass, you know, that's been obvious, but... uh, They all have been growing since last August, so now they're starting to sort of perk up even because they're realizing the days are getting a little bit longer. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Marion's. Hi, Marion. Hello, Mike. I'm a longtime listener. Love the show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I... uh have a problem with zoysia in my backyard. <clears throat> Apparently the birds planted it and it's beginning to bleed into my neighbor's yard. Ooh. How can I um, eliminate that? Basically you're going to have to I uh, hopefully you're you know not anti herbicide but you're going to have to just kill it with like a grass killer type thing. Other than okay. that, the only way to do it is to dig it but it's going to continue to be invasive. Can't begin to do that. It's too much. Right. Uh, grass killer. Uh, multiple applications. Yeah, it's probably going to take a couple years. You know. Oh wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Even with something as strong as Roundup, it's you know there's still going to be some roots that survive. So you're not going to eliminate it with just one application by any means. 
regardless of what product. You can get something rather than an all-purpose type herbicide like Roundup that is specifically a grass killer, and that would be something to probably use. And just get us, you know, get the smallest quantity available that you can, that will, let's say, cover the area that you want to. And then change products. Don't stay loyal to one particular product when it comes to any kind of herbicide. Okay. Now, how... uh how many applications do you think in a season? Do you think, uh, how often can I apply? Well, basically, you're not going to be able to do anything until it starts greening up. So right. don't bother putting it on anything right now. Even though the crowns are alive and the root systems are viable, there's no way to absorb it into the, you know, into the plant material, the zoysia. Okay. So my guess is probably every, let's say, Three to, let's say, every four weeks, do another application through the entire summertime with the last application probably being maybe mid-September, maybe late-September, weather-dependent. Okay. Okay, well, wish me luck, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. I love love your show. (laughs) Well, thanks. And now let's go over to Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Yeah, she could send her zoysia over to my yard. <laughs> Listen, um, how soon can I put down uh, zoysia? I know it's not, they don't have seeds, but how soon can I put down the, the uh, side or the little pl- plots, plugs that they have? Right. Basically, you're going to have to wait until it can be, let's say, cut at the sod farms. So you're, that's going to be when it starts showing up at the garden center. So you're probably okay. going to, you know, it's going to be weather-dependent, Again, when it starts, they're not going to do it before it really is fully green. So you're probably looking at mid to late April at the earliest would be my guess. And that's strictly a guess. It's all weather dependent. Okay, so I'll just keep an eye out uh, at the uh, garden center. Right. And if you're getting the plugs, realize, I mean, I forget how many, you know, they come in a tray, you know, and the, the plugs, individual plugs. It takes, depending upon how fast you want it to infill, if you put them six inches apart, then they're going to infill probably in th- entirely in probably about three, three years or so. If you put them nine inches apart, you're adding another couple years. Twelve inches apart, another couple years. Oh, what about three inches apart? <laughs> <laughs> then you should just buy sod. <laughs> okay, so get the sod. Right. <laughs> okay, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you, and I appreciate your information. Well, thanks, and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, the sod is, I mean... You don't have to put sod right next to each other, but the individual plugs, they are, I mean, when you pull them out of the tray and look at them, there's, I mean, there's roots and everything, and they're viable, they're good and everything. It's just, it takes them a long time to get themselves established and starting to spread out. So that's a disadvantage or advantage, depending upon what you need. Good luck, Pat. And now let's go to Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Mike. How are you this morning, sir? Very good. Good. Hey, um, I know um, knockout roses are pretty easy to take care of. They're supposed to be, like, maintenance-free, but I see them sometimes look kind of shabby, like the, the, the colors look kind of faded and stuff. And I was thinking about planting some, but uh, is there a way to keep those flowers looking vibrant with fertilizer, or how do you take care of those? Well, basically, they're not maintenance-free by any means. So there's no, I mean, that's completely wrong. You should be treating them just like you would any other type of rose. So use a rose food, a specific fertilizer form, because it's going to have 
various nutrients that you know that is beneficial to the roses. So don't use general fertilizer. Make sure that when you plant them that the soil has been well prepared. And when you plant them, you make sure that the top 20% or so of the root ball is above the surrounding ground and then put about three or four inches of mulch over it. But uh, that's the best thing you can do. And uh, as far as coloring, you know, on the flowers and stuff, they're going to have their flush times too, just like regular roses. So there's going to be a big flush. Everything's going to look fantastic. And then some of the flowers are going to start to fade. So, uh, you know, the knockouts probably have... Maybe three or four, weather again, weather dependent, three, four, or five flushes each year. But in between those flushes, there's kind of be, going to be a lack of color overall. Okay. So you say prepare the soil, meaning like till it up and then till some uh, compost into the ground? Exactly right. Just make sure okay. a, a well-drained circumstance in full sun is going to be the best. Okay. All right. Well, I don't where I'm going to put it. I don't think it's full sun, but I think it's mostly sun. Okay. So, so the, you know, when you start taking some of the sun away, it's going to impact the overall health of you know of the roses, you know, knockouts or any other type or any kind of let's say sun loving plant material. So as long right. as it's going to get you know some direct sun, at least four or five or six hours would be probably the minimum. Yeah, I think once it hits noon, I think my front yard gets mostly sun. So okay. from noon to four or five, right, or so. All right, well, good deal. All I right. appreciate it, sir. You have yourself a great day, then. You do the very same thing, Patrick. And thanks. Yeah, and also in the summertime, you know, when the let's say the roses are at their peak performance, your front yard, if it starts getting uh, the sun at noon, then the sun doesn't really go down until later in the day, like eight o'clock. So if that should be sun that's adequate. Anybody else has any questions? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments? And let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi. Hi. Uh, another question. Thank you for picking my call. Sure. Um, my wife has a, an orchid that's been dor- a dorm- a, a dormant about two years or so. Well, it got buzz on it the past two weeks. How can we encourage those buds to turn into flowers? <laughs> Just leave them. I mean, if if they're if it's budded, if it's sending the stem out and it has buds on it, you don't have to yeah. encourage it. It'll do on its own. But probably the best thing to do is go to your favorite garden center and get some orchid food. And this is with any of the orchids or anything that's going to be blooming in the wintertime. Start fertilizing it as soon as you start to see the buds form but only fertilize at half the label rate. Half a label rate, okay. And that's because the days are shorter and everything else, but it should be an adequate amount, and just the frequency will be determined by, you know, I would, again, the label. So you can, as far as the, how often you do it, you can do it, but just do half a label rate. Then, the okay. you know, during the actual, let's say, warmer weather and everything else, you can, you know, fertilize with a full label rate. Right, right. Okay, well, thank you very much. Certainly. I appreciate that. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, orchids are great. They're fun. And anybody that's interested in them, uh, guess what? February 1st, the Orchid Show will be at the Missouri Botanical Garden starting. And it has a, a Mayan theme, so I guess there's going to be giant pyramidals and all kinds of other stuff going on as well. That sounds interesting. Thank yeah, you. it's February really it's a, it's a great show. Thank you. Certainly. Appreciate that. And never have a good day. You do, you do the very same thing. And also, 
at the Orchid Show. There's going to be the Orchid Society there. So if you do have any questions or concerns or would like some plants, they, you know, the garden has plants. The Orchid Society will be there to answer your questions. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, there is some wind today. So even though, let's say, the temperature's in the low 30s, it's probably going to feel about 5 to 7 to 9 degrees colder, depending upon the exposure to the wind. It's kind of amazing when it's cloudy and it's windy. It really makes it a little bit more brutal as far as how it really feels. Let's head over to Dee Dee's yard. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a Bradford pear that we had trimmed in late summer, and wouldn't you know, after the fact, we noticed that the bottom of the trunk has some rotting of some of the roots at the base. Um, Should we leave it alone, Uh, fill it in with mulch, or what should we do? Just leave it alone. It's probably okay. Leave it alone. Yeah. Surface roots, you know, with problems... You know, somebody could have hit it with a mower blade or all kinds of other things. But I will tell you, by uh, pruning in late, late, did you say late summer? Yes. You probably cut off all the flower buds. Ah, uh, probably. So, you probably did. <laughs> so, I mean, that's generally why, I mean, they have nice foliage. It's nice and glossy and green and everything else. But, I mean, that springtime explosion is great. Now, a lot of people don't care for Bradford pears because the flowers do have a interesting aroma. Charles Brennan is one of the people that does not like them. But uh, anyway, so, uh, and they have great fall color. So, anyway, just, uh, yeah, I just don't, don't get into a panic about it or anything else. Now, if you do normally put mulch around the tree, go ahead and put that mulch, but don't do anything else. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your help. Certainly. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, the Bradford Pears, uh, they, you know, they're spectacular, and you know, they only, they get fire blight. They have some other problems as well. So, it's fire blight is when you start to see your Bradford pear where the let's say, the ends of branches like the twelve or so nine to twelve inches, just the foliage turns really really dark. It's almost like somebody took a flame. That's why they call it fire blight and burnt those leaves. But once you start to see that happen in several different locations on your tree. That means the internal part of your tree is impacted by the fire blight, and it's destined for doom. So just, you know, kind of keep that in mind. Let's head over to Walter's yard. Hi, Walter. Hello. How are you this morning? Good. That's good. Um, I ordered some uh, surprise lilies online a while back, and they were supposed to send them at time to uh, plant them. I got them in January. And there's no instructions the last time I looked online, and I can't exactly figure out when to plant them. The variety is electric blue. Yeah. Ooh, I don't even know that variety of surprise lily. So this is, surprise lily is one that you put in the ground, the foliage comes up, and then dies down in the springtime, and mm-hmm. then you'll start, and then the flower stalk will come up in, uh, you know, July or August or so. so. Yeah, I got a lot of the pink ones. Oh, good. But this is new. So, yeah, I don't know the blue one. But so you know, you understand them. So I would say if the ground is not, I wouldn't necessarily rush out to get them in the ground right now because the ground is going to be very cold, so it's not going to do too much. But if you have areas that's already been prepared where you have your pink ones 
growing, then you could plant them this time of year. But I'd probably wait until, oh, you know, another month or so, probably towards the end of February and get them in the ground then. So it gets a little more, maybe above freezing more in the daytime? Yeah, and just it'll be easier on you. And um, with our weather, you know, rain-wise and everything else, it'll just be to the advantage. But again, since you've got successful plants, then you probably have that area already prepared as far as soil-wise. So the drainage is probably good. So if you were anxious to get them in the ground, you could do it as soon as you wanted to. But uh, you can wait for another month or two with no problems. How deep would you say? Uh, basically, I just, you know, sort of whatever the diameter of the bulb is, I take that times two or three and put them that deep. So, you know, put them down, uh, let's say the top of the bulb should be about three to four inches below the surface. All righty. Thank you very much. Yeah, probably more like four rather than three. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Anybody else questions or concerns? 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. I don't know if you've you know been doing the de-icer and all that other stuff. We haven't really had that much ice per se. Yeah, the other day before that crazy, you know, really wet snow, I, I always take my early morning walk. And I mean, the, the ground was kind of icy, but it was mushy icy. So you had to kind of watch. And areas that weren't very reflective were the ones as far as on the sidewalk were the ones that were actually the slipperiest, were the more frozen. I thought it was going to be the other way around. So you could, I would be slushing along, and I'd see kind of an area that looked like, at first I thought this is a spot probably where there is no whatever, no ice or anything, but that turned out to be where it was most frozen. So crazy stuff out there. Let's head out to Mary's yard, and she lives in Overland. Hi, Mary. Hello, Mary. Are you there? Hi there. How Hi. are you, Mike, this morning? Hi. Very good. Yes, I'm, I'm here, Mike. Okay. Sorry, just a delay. Mike, the reason I'm calling is I need to uh, see if you do any planning of yardscapes. I have been uh, working on my yard for 20 years, and it's a pretty big yard, and I'm trying to go from work on it all the time to making it much less labor-intensive as I uh, get older in my years. And I was wondering, uh, do you do that? Because you've been out to our house and were fabulous in explaining, you know, what we could do with this or that. Uh, do you yourself do any more of the planning to tell me what to plant next? I can tell you what to plant, but it would just be, you know, me telling you, or I could do a quick sketch of various areas, but I don't do any formal drawings anymore. Oh, you don't? I do you, not. When you come out and I talk to you, would you uh, be able to give me some names of people that you've used and you feel are, are very qualified? Certainly. You know, you, as far as the installation of the plant material, taking plant material out and, you know, whatever it happens to take. But, yeah, as I'm starting to get, you know, at 70 years old, I've had to sort of, like, drop some things off just because of energy-wise and everything else, and I've just stopped doing the formal drawings. Well, I understand that. I have that same problem, too. So thank you. I, I will contact you through MikeMillerDesigns.com. That's true. There's Perfect. An email. Thanks again for your help. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling. And now let's go over to Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Hey, good morning. Uh, I got a question for you. We've got two 
large oak trees in our yard like a lot of people in Kirkwood do. We're trying to be pretty good about getting the acorns out at the end of the year, and I'm wondering, those residual acorns, you're never going to get them all. Um, do, do those end up turning acidic to the soil as they decompose? And my next question is, I know it's hard to grow grass in a shaded area, that's a given, but do you recommend any particular seed or type of grass in those areas underneath those oak trees that are better than others? Thanks. Uh, basically, the acorns, you know, the, the acidity quality is, already, you know, the, the, your oaks wouldn't be doing all that well if it wasn't probably the right pH. So the acorns are not going to change the acidity of the soil. So in essence, and realize that a lawn, all grasses want a slightly acidic soil, not an alkaline soil. But under any kind of large trees, it's not only just a shade, it's the tree roots, and it's the feeder tree roots. It's not necessarily... The tree roots up close to the trunk, that's because it's solid wood there. You're not going to be able to get grass to grow. But further out, even if there's sun hitting the ground, there is feeder roots of the tree right there within the top 8 to 10 inches of the soil. And that's the main competition for any kind of lawn. So there's all kinds of shady spot mixes and all this other stuff. But to have a successful quasi, it's not going to be really successful, aesthetic lawn, you're going to have to just probably be putting seed out twice a year, every May and then every September, to try to get it to look as good as possible. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, put a seed starter-type fertilizer down, too. And core aeration will help, you know, because you're building up the soil as a result of that. So it's going to be a lot of work, as you well know. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Got an open phone line, so if you've got questions or concerns, we can get to you very, very quickly. I'm going to keep, uh, you know, sort of reminding you of various things, and it's just because, well, you say, well, I hear this every week. Well, thank you for listening every week, but some people may not. But don't do any kind of pruning during the wintertime on maple trees, beeches, or birch trees because they have high wintertime sap flow. So it's best to prune those particular trees during the summer. And this is only related to regular-type pruning. Any kind of storm damage, you get that cut, you know, get rid of that, you know, as soon as possible because open wounds can really create problems, you know, that you can't possibly imagine. You get water running in there, you get fungus problems, you get heartwood rot and other things as well. Also, deep root feeding and soil aeration. Deep root feeding is where you're feeding the soils around individual trees. You have an electric drill, an auger, you auger holes, and then you backfill those holes with compost. Now, that's basically to feed your soil. The healthier your soil is, the better able it is to feed your trees or shrubs or whatever it happens to be. So any plant material, deep root feeding, you start about half on a tree, halfway out from the trunk to the drip line, do a concentric circle all the way around, then go out one or two feet, and then another concentric circle. And soil aeration, core aeration this time of year, well, you could do it this time of year, but uh, probably I'd wait a little bit my, you know, if I were you. Just it's just too cold, and so it's better off if you wait until the ground you you know let's say is fully let's say fully thawed and will stay fully thawed out. 
your house plants, take a look at them because they should start, you know, as the days get longer, whether they're under grow lights or anything else, the plants have a, the ability to kind of sense that and you should start to see some new growth. And just watch that new growth on the top of the leaf and the bottom of the leaf both for potential disease or insect problems. And hopefully you've gotten rid of all the fungus gnats that, uh, let's say, live in your potting mix, and that shouldn't be a problem. Anytime you bring any new plants back into your or that you've purchased into your home, kind of isolate them from your other plant materials just for a little bit so you can make sure that everything's okay. Just, you know, give them the, the, the sun, the moisture and everything they need. But uh, usually garden centers are very, very conscientious about uh, the plant material that they have and any kind of disease problems. But uh, some of the other year-round garden centers are a little bit different than the big box type things. They, their staffing and everything else maybe not quite as conscientious, although I shouldn't probably say that, but that's kind of the case. So, Anyway, let's head over to Jerry's yard. Jerry, how are you today? Hello. Hi. Say, Mike, uh, I have a, a large concrete pot, fancy pot tapered. It's about 44 inches tall and about three feet wide. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put it on a patio I just built, and I need to put a tree in that. And uh, I was wondering what you would recommend to use uh, and how to plant it. Uh, basically, does it? I'm assuming it has drainage hole on the bottom. It does. Okay, so then that's perfect. So probably now, how tall is it? Uh, Forty-four. Forty-four inches high. I would probably right. the bottom foot or so. I would backfill with uh, river rock, which is just the brown rock and a combination of river rock and pea gravel together. So right. That way, you ensure there's going to be drainage. Then, as far as the soil, I would use potting mix and not, you know, not soil for anything that you want to basically grow. And as far as tree-wise, it's just a kind of a personal preference as far as what you like. Alberta spruce will grow fairly well in something that large. Japanese maples will grow. There's all kinds of, you know, cypress trees that will grow. Gold thread branch cypress being one of them, which will give you kind of a weeping look. So there's really an unlimited amount of, you know, a kind of personal choice. If you want to have some golden sumacs or something along that line. So there's not just one thing that's going to work better than another. Okay. I was thinking about the Japanese maple, perhaps. Yeah, you know, and I'd probably have the one that kind of has the umbrella shape versus the one that grows, you know, kind of tall. Right. The umbrella one, just realize how wide it potentially could get. But the combination of, uh, you know, the good drainage and the potting mix, you should be fine. One more question. Do you you do walkabouts as far as Farmington? Uh, Sure. Okay. I'll try to set that up. Great. Just give me, you know, contact me. Probably better way would be email, but if you want to call and just leave a message, and I'll just call you back, and we can kind of get everything worked out. Great. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for the question, and thanks for uh, asking about my walk and talks. Now let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hi. Yeah, Mike, thanks for your program. I really enjoy it. I have a a pecan tree when I moved in my house uh, about six, seven years ago, and we get a lot of fruit off of it but a lot of the pecan 
fall green, and if somebody told me if they're falling green, that's just excess that the tree's getting rid of. But even the stuff that does fall later, it just falls on the ground, but it's it's still in the shell, and it never comes out. And I got a cousin who's got one. He says, no, it shouldn't look like that. You should get actual pecan. You know, it should fall out of the shell and be actual pecans, because when I open them up, it's always kind of soft and gooey inside. So I don't know if there's anything you can recommend that might help this pecan tree actually give me some good fruit. <laughs> How, what's the diameter of the tree? It's, uh, I would say, about 15 inches or so. So it's, you know, it's fully mature. And why that, you know, that's happening, I mean, like when walnuts fall, they do have that hull around them, and you have to grind that hull off. With the pecans, right. you know, if that's happening, it's probably, you know, it's probably re- related to weather more so than anything else. I don't think there's anything that you could actually put into the soil or inject into the trunk of the tree or anything else that's going to change that factor. So oh, okay. the, we're kind of in the area where the pecans, yes, they can grow here. They can produce nuts. But this is not the ideal environment, f- you know, for growing pecans. Okay. So it's, you know, it just, it, the trees, definitely the tree drops. Any kind of tree that produces nuts or fruit will drop any whatever fruits or nuts, you know, an excessive amount because it takes a whole lot of energy to support that. So that's what's happening. But later on in the season when they fall and, you know, what's happening with you, I think it's just, it could be premature falling, at, you know, and again, triggered by weather. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, the um, uh, comments anyway. Right. And also what you can do is also go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot, M-O-B-O-T dot O-R-G, and you know, put the question in there and see if they've got you know, a different perspective than what I did. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. And uh, guess what, folks? We've got a couple more minutes, so if you, wanna, if you have a quick question, you can certainly... Give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Stay off your lawn as much as you possibly can. You know, it's probably fairly wet. The reason for doing that is just even just simply walking on it, you can compact the soil a little bit, and it just makes a scenario where the lawn that you have there probably can still be successful, but it can, you know, cause somewhat of an impact on that lawn where you're walking. That's why, again, I keep mentioning this, that that's why along fences and stuff where dogs run, you can never get anything to grow there at all. So I would say give up on trying to grow anything in those locations and just put some mulch along the fence. Let's go now to Mary. Oh, Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. Um, I have a question about um, I bought some sweet alyssum seed yesterday. Great. Because last year when I got around to buying them, they were all gone. So I went ahead and got them yesterday. So what, how do I go about planting those? Just wait until it gets a little bit warmer and just go out there and uh, just kind of shake the seed on the ground, you know, on the bed. Hopefully it's prepared space. That's you know I have some that self-seed every year, year in, year out. But also every year I just buy some new seed. Now, did you get the white ones or the purple ones? They're white. Okay, so the per- the white ones are by far the best. Purple ones will grow for one year, but next year if they self-seed and come back, they're going to be white. So you made a good choice. And the, the fragrance is great. It's one of my favorite plants. I grow it in really, let's say, warm, hot spots 
So in other words, like in between sidewalks and streets and that type thing. And I, you know, I just really enjoy the plant a lot. So just wait and wait until, uh, let's say, mid-March or so, and then just go out, tear this, you know, the packet open and just sprinkle the seed around. Really? And I don't need to put any kind of covering on top of it? No, you really don't. It's just so make sure that the seed's going to come in contact with the ground so you don't put it on top of mulch or anything like that. You can mm-hmm. put a, you know, a, a really thin layer of mulch over the top of it, but beyond that, that's all you need to do. All right, great, thanks. Yeah, it's really easy. That's, you know, that's not only do I like it for the fragrance and everything else, but uh, simply because it's easy to grow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for the help. Yep, my pleasure. So we're going to, that's probably going to be our last call for this hour. So if you do have questions for the next hour, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. And, uh, again, I don't know if we're going to have snow or anything humming or ice or all that other stuff. Just remember, some of the de-icers are going to be more damaging to your plant material than other ones. You can use traction sand, even bird seed, and a vermiculite as far as helping the traction in certain areas. So, again, questions, concerns, or comments, I will see you after the news. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, which I'll be giving shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Megan, before you slip out into the newsroom, I'm curious, you know, if I was looking at you and uh, saw you in high school or whatever, oh. I would think you would be a hockey player. Did you play hockey in I high did school? not. I played soccer. Oh, did you? Didn't have the opportunity to play hockey. I do now. <laughs> do you play? I do. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's my midlife crisis. <laughs> I thought you looked tough I mean, like a hockey player. Yeah, I don't play very well, but I play. <laughs> Good exercise. Yeah, great. Just curious. So watch it. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what that big stick is, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll drop Ow. the gloves. <laughs> oh, boy, those gloves hurt. Mike will go to any lengths. <laughs> yes. Anyway, thanks. <laughs> yes, folks, and by the way, thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, up and downs, caring for, related to annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. And I like to share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to for you to kind of think about. And across the big board is Alex. He is producing, and when you call in, he'll just need your first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting. Where I come to your home, I can make Recommendations on plant material, on existing plant material, how to care for, and, uh, you know, maybe adding some new plants or whatever it happens to be. And uh, problem solving. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and go to the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number are listed. 
And then you can contact me, and we'll schedule that walk and talk. I'll share 40 years of experience with you. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. One of the more unique places in the St. Louis metropolitan area, especially related to kids, is a place called the Green Center. And the Green Center is at, in University City on Blackberry Avenue, 8025 Blackberry Avenue in University City. Um, they've got classes all year round, basically. But in the wintertime, they've got classes where one class in early February is going to be hunt for cocoa, hot cocoa. And then a little bit later in the next week, winter works of art. Then the next week, snowed in, well, let's cook. And then finally, on the following week, on the 26th of February, Feathered Friends. So your kids, you get to go to the Green Center, and they get to spend some time doing some very unique things in the outdoors. It's a really quite, you know, outstanding place. So if you're interested in having your kids attend some of the classes, they've got winter, spring, and summer classes. You can go to classes, just like C-L-A-S-S-E-S, at thegreencenter.org. And they've got a whole list of classes. One of the classes in the summertime is already sold out. So that shows you how quickly they can sell out. And the classes are really basically for younger kids, like ages 4 to 9. So it's not for older kids or anything along that line. And uh, so if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I see that we we might be having a 5K run that's headed straight up the street from us. Somebody's leading, and then there's a big group of people, and then there's, wow. I'm not much of a runner anymore. I used to do some running, but uh, no more. I'm just too lazy, I guess. But anyway, if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925. Nine two five eleven twenty. Let's take a call before we go to break, and let's go over to Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Good morning, Michael. Hi. I have a question about good old moles. I've been infested by moles in the front yard. What what can I do at this time of the year? Basically, they're not going to be doing too much because there's not a whole lot of earthworm movement. So that's what draws them and what makes them tunnel the way they do. So because the ground is still very cold, the earthworms are going to be settled. But I will tell you, I will forewarn you, February or in the end of January is a month when the female moles start having kids. So you think you have a mole problem now, you could have it you know, three or four times worse you know, in another couple months. Oh, boy. So, but there's really not too much you can do right now. So the grub control does nothing as far as controlling the moles. They Yes, they will eat you know, grubs if they come across them when they're looking for the earthworms. But the majority of their diet is earthworms. And so what you can do is if you do see some tunnels pop up, you can get some traps and put the traps along the tunnel you know, where it's popped yeah. up. And then move it every day or two if you haven't gotten a mole in that spot. Well, I just... To the trap will go. Yeah, there's two different ones. There's a spear trap and a choker trap. But basically, all the studies have said this is the most effective thing to use. They've got all kinds of other things where you can inject something that smells like an earthworm in the tunnels. 
that's somewhat effective, but the traps are the things that have really been proven for a long, long time. Well, thanks, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to Carl. Hi, Carl. How are you today? How are you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, squash bugs. In the when my zucchini just get beautiful and big, the squash bugs invade my garden. Is there anything? Do they come out of the ground, or what can I put down to slow them down? Yeah, you can get something called diatomaceous earth, which is kind of a granular type of stuff that you just sprinkle on top of the surface of the soil. And apparently that has a, you know, a detrimental effect on the squash bugs and stink bugs both. And okay. uh, other than that, you're just going to have to probably use an insecticidal soap and just spray directly onto the squash bugs as soon as you see them. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With questions, concerns, ideas, or comments, let's head over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hello, Sue, are you there? Oop. Sorry, Sue. Give us a call back if you like. Now let's go to Marjorie. Hello, Marjorie. Yes. Hi, Mike. Hi. Listen, I have a, a friend in Illinois, he has two uh, uh, red oak trees, and they're young. But th- this year, they th- they threw um, acorns. Well, he gathered the acorns and he has put them in the refrigerator with the intent of planting them in little planters and seeing if he can't grow the trees. Um, then he would, ga- I guess, keep them on the back porch while it's cold and then just try to get them to grow out. What do you think? Do you think there's a possibility that that'll happen? Uh, I mean, there is a possibility, but when you under, you know, when you just think about, you know, oak trees being mature or anything else, how many acorns they drop and how many actual acorns do you think, you know, that you see that have actually germinated. And you think, well, yeah. there aren't deep enough in the soil and, and whatever it happens to be. But uh, generally with production nurseries, how they do let's say get new trees is they take cuttings off existing trees as opposed to trying to grow them from seeds and that's what an acorn is it's certainly worth a try he could have left them outside he didn't have to bring them in and put them inside you know to cool them down but tell him if he's going to do it get like a four inch pot one acorn per four inch pot and get the potting mix for starting plant material and just put them outside and just kind of leave them alone Okay, well, one of the questions is, what side do you put up on an acorn? I mean, there's a kind of smooth bottom, and they have a little lump on the top. I think put them horizontal, you know, put them sideways. Sideways. Yes. Okay. That way you don't have to worry about which one's going to be where the root's coming out of. But basically, you know, let's say the cap is where the the stem is going to come up out of. Okay. Okay, sideways is sideways. Okay, thank you very, very much, Mike. I appreciate it. Certainly. Thank my, you. My pleasure. Let's head over to Scott's yard now. Hi, Scott. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yes, a, a woman called right before break about some seeds that, that grow easy, and you said they were fragrant, and, and I'm also looking for something that grows easy and reseeds. And <laughs> you said the purple ones were best. What was the name of that? No, the purple ones are not the best ones. Oh, okay. The white okay. ones are the best. It's called Sweet Alyssum. 
Okay. So they're small, like the flowers are really t- relatively small, but they're in big clusters. And the okay. fragrance is related to the fact they're called sweet and then alyssum, A-L-Y-S-S-U-M. Okay. And they're, they reseed every year? You don't need to... Yeah, generally they do. I mean, if we have really weird weather, I've been doing it for years in pots and in the ground both. And there's probably been, you know, in the last 20-plus years, maybe one or two years where the seeds may have come up and started to germinate. And then we had a late-season cold snap, and that killed the germinated seeds. But beyond that, they're pretty reliable. Okay. How how tall do they get? Uh, About four to six inches. So they're kind of like a... You know, let's say ground a, cover. Yeah, more or less a ground cover. Okay, great. Yeah, and, and hot. You said they're good for hot because I have trouble next to my walk. So yeah, I I grow them like I said in between sidewalks and streets and okay, the, you know those kind of areas. All right, thank you very much. The white ones you said are the best. Then. Yes, by far. They come in a package. You just give them in a package. Yeah, for like you know a dollar seventy nine or whatever. Okay. All right. Say. Thank you very much. Yes, my pleasure. Mm, bye. And now let's head to Chesterfield and go into John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi. Hey, it's a really grungy day out there. <laughs> I got uh, two topics I want to discuss. But first, a question: You said don't prune maples in the winter. Does that apply to Japanese maples? Pretty much. I mean, this obviously the sugar maples and everything else. You know, you're going to get the real sap flow out of those. But it, all the maples are just kind of clumped together. Okay. First topic is pachysandra. I've had a nice-sized bed growing for well over a decade under a big maple tree. The tree met its demise late 2018. All last summer, it was growing fine in the sun, but it's getting taller. It was less than a foot after a decade. Now it's at least six inches taller. Is that going to keep growing, or can I trim it back, or what? Pacassandra generally doesn't get that tall, so I'm surprised it has. So, I mean... (laughs) That's, you know, why it would do that. Usually, I think of Pacassandra being like six inch, around six inches is maximum. Yeah, so, it was, that's all like after the second or third year. You know, but anyway. But anyway, so you just, know. So, just leave it alone? Yeah, leave it alone. Don't do anything to it at all. And now okay. it's in fully exposed sun? Yeah. So I'm surprised it didn't sunburn last summer. I keep it watered well. It gets a little bit of afternoon shade, but mostly. Yeah, full but uh, Pacassandra is really a you know a ground cover for shaded areas. So if yeah. it's in full sun, you know, just ex- you know, my thought is it's going to get sunburnt. Okay. Yeah. So Second if- topic: pre-emerge herbicide. So last August, I bought uh, a uh, bottle of uh, concentrate pre-emerge, and I sprayed it out for the uh, the. Uh, Annual bluegrass stuff? Right. Okay. So I'm getting ready to spray the yard again for the uh, broadleaf and the... Uh, um, the warm season grass. type? Yeah, right. So the, the label says it's effective for, for 90 to 120 days. So I, I want to do a lot of... I want to reseed the yard this spring also. So... Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm going to put it down like the middle of February so I get a chance to put some seed out in June. Does that make sense? Well, basically, putting it down that early is not going to be effective against anything. And it's going to get oh, yeah. diluted to the point that it's not going to, you know, you're just kind of wasting your time or money. But when oh. the, the 
the pre-emergent for you know controlling warm season annual weeds should go down when your yellow forsythia is in bloom. So if you don't have any in your yard, then when you see them in your neighborhood, that means the ground temperature is the time when right before or right as seed starts germinating. That's why the pre-emergent goes down at that time. So it gets, it, I was, it was my understanding that it has to get watered in and then it just stays near the surface. I basically, it's what it does is create a chemical coating on the ground, and it you know it goes over the annual weed seeds, and then when the seed germinates, it it hits this chemical created by the pre-emergent, and that kills the seed as it's germinating. So these seeds are going to be germinating the same time the forsythia is flowering. Right. Exactly oh. right. So if you the seeds will germinate just a little as soon as the forsythia is in bloom. Put the pre-emergent down, and the seeds will be germinating within a week or two after that, Dep- again, weather-dependent. So if I'd go over the yard in late May with a um, defatcher and and um, disturb the surface of the soil, would that help? Yeah, just scratching the soil, you would break that chemical barrier, so then any kind of lawn seed you'd put down should be able to you know, be okay. Okay. So I'll wait till it gets a little warmer to put it down. and then Right. You, okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. So, yeah, when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, that's a trigger time to get the pre-emergent down, regardless of what type you're doing. And now let's go to where are we headed? Uh, let's go. Gary or Gear? Gear? Hey, Scott. Top of the day. <laughs> or Mike, I'm sorry. That's okay. Top of the day, Top of the day to you, Mike. Well, thank Mike, you. Mike, listen, uh, with your expertise, I'm wondering if you could enlighten me in regards to what, what to do. We had to take down uh, several maple trees, Ooh. and uh, we really like the uh, Bradford pear, but we're told not to do that. So what would you suggest or recommend that we uh, replace the maple trees with? Now, why did you take the maples down? Uh, they were diseased. Really? Yeah. Uh, how big of a yard do you have? Uh, about 55 foot wide. So- and and uh, uh, 100, 135 foot long. Okay. So my tendency would be to stay away from the larger shade-type trees and maybe think about doing some ornamental trees, be it like red buds, be it dogwood, something along that line, some of the magnolias. They're going to stay in scale with the space that, they, that you have and be less problematic you know, in the future. So like a star magnolia, saucer magnolia, the dogwood, if you wanted a dogwood that blooms a little bit later than in the springtime, you can get the Japanese dogwood, which is called Kusa dogwood. You can get a, a type of red bud that has a purplish leaf on it, or even just some of the Japanese maples. So that's probably what I would do. Okay, and how, how tall do they get? I, I don't want to get a real tall tree anymore. Yeah, these are all going to be more or less understory trees. So oh, really? the Japanese okay. maple is probably going to be the tallest one, and that's probably going to be 20 feet is going to be its maximum height. Okay, that would be perfect. Okay, Mike, I really appreciate you. You do a great job. Well, thanks, and thanks for having me on your show. So, no. And now let's go to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, I'm ready. Say, uh, on pre-emergent, you pretty much covered it there. I was going to talk about pre-emergent, but my, I guess further to that question a little bit is – on uh, the fall, uh, I, I have a large lawn, a tremendous lawn, and it wraps all around my house. 
and spreads every direction. And uh, I maintain it like uh, as good as I can. But the pre-emergent, I, I fight crow's foot and just about, and I, I fight water grass. And uh, I use pre-emergent some. And uh, the information you gave the other gentleman will help me on that. But can I, uh, uh, as a practice uh, on this spray, pre-emergent, say, like you said, late May, and again in the fall and get these weeds under control? Well, the the pre-emergent to get rid of the cool season weeds, so in other words, you put down in August. The pre-emergent that you're going to get rid of the warm season annual weeds. These are not; these won't get rid of perennial weeds that are coming back from root systems. These are things that are just germinating from seed. You put down in the springtime when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So yellow forsythia is in bloom, and then mid to late August, depending upon the weather, is for the because there's two different types of annual weeds, and that's why you got to put it down twice a year. So in August and May. No, not May, when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So that's going to be sometime in the early spring. At what? Pinpoint a little closer for me, typically. Well, it's, you know, it's hard to say because it's weather. Sometime, let's say, between Valentine's Day and the 1st of March. Okay. That's good. So just kind of watch for the, you know, for yellow forsythia. Will do. Thank you. Okay, great. So long. Yep, thanks. And, uh, yeah, the pre-emergent, it's, you know, again, very specific as far as it does kill, you know, seeds as they germinate. And so that's the only perennial weeds like dandelions and stuff. They could care less. They just come erupting up through and, you know, nutgrass and everything, too. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, comments, ideas about what's going on in the outdoors or with your plant material. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. An update on the 5K run. It looks like it might be uh, the last of the crowd has passed us because there's a couple police cars and usually they are signaling the end there is still a few more people though walking about this i don't know maybe they're trying to be the last one in so it could be a tough race to be last because there's six people kind of clustered together i gotta go slower so i can be last anyway let's go over to norman's yard hi norman hello uh we got my wife at christmas time you get these plants in the church you give money and and then and when everything's over with, they get the plant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's got this Norfolk Island pine. Ah. You know, I mean, anyway, it's, I guess it's an indoor plant because it can't get out on the 45 degrees. Right. And uh, it's got to have 20-20 fertilizer. I can't find that. But anyway, did this? how big is this indoor plant, I guess? Well, how big does this thing really get? Well, I've seen them in pots. You can control the size of any kind of house plant by the size of pot it's in. So if you want it to stay relatively small, don't put it in a bigger pot. So it would basically kind of stay at the same size it is now. It will grow a little bit more. And you don't have to, you know, the fertilizer, you can use any kind of fertilizer for house plants. So 
but you'd be better well, off because it's an evergreen to get a fertilizer for plants that like an acid-type fertilizer because it's going to have iron and sulfur in it. So that's probably the best thing as far as fertilizing. Don't fertilize it at all until the days really get longer. So no fertilizing until, let's say, April, and then fertilize it once a month all the way up until September, and then no fertilizer after September. Put in a bright, sunny window and uh, just you know, kind of watch the inside of the pot where the potting mix is. And once there's, the potting mix shrinks away from the inside of the pot, then water it really well, and then don't water it again until the potting mix shrinks away from the inside of the pot. Well, it's about 20 inches tall. I would like to get about four inches, four feet tall. So what size pot do you think I would need for that? Basically, you're going to have to, let's say, upstage it. So do you, what size pot is it in now, six-inch pot? Just no, a guess. I, it was, and I changed it to a bigger, about eight-inch pot. Okay, that's fine. Leave it in that eight-inch pot for a couple years, and just oh, kind of watch the bottom of the pot. Once you start to see the roots going out of the drainage holes in the bottom of the pot, then add another two inches. And ultimately, you're probably for it to get four feet high. Uh, it's going to be about four feet across at the you know at the very bottom. As oh, realize yeah. that. Okay. Okay, and so. Then probably about a 14-inch, maybe 16-inch pot, but just two inches at a time, you know, and so it's going to take several years for it to get that big. Can I put it outside in the summertime or will that burn it? No, no, just don't put it in direct sun, especially initially. I mean, they like the sun, but to take it from inside a house and set it in direct sun, it will definitely sunburn. So you can kind of acclimate it by putting it in part shade, part sun, and then work it so it gets you know, a little bit more used to the sun. Ultimately, it could end up in full sun, but don't do it initially in full sun. Okay, so it's uh, going to grow slow. That's good. That's all I wanted to know. Right, very slow. Even fertilizing, so don't fertilize, over-fertilize or anything. They're pretty tough. I mean, they're pretty durable, and... Uh, it's just a lot of people have a tendency to overwater, and then that's... Oh, yeah, that's another thing I do on my cactus plant. Right. I overwater them. <laughs> and so I need the theory you got with the dry, um, separate from the a crack between the dirt and the plant, I right. mean the pot. Exactly. Okay. That's the best way to do it. Or if you like what I do, I, I watch for that too. What I do is once I water the plant, I f- lift the pot up and see how heavy it is. And then I just, you know, put the pot, you know, put the pot back down. And then I wait until I lift the pot and it feels really light. Then I water it at that time if you don't want to watch the inside of the potting mix and inside of the pot. Okay. All right. I'll probably kill it, but I'm going to (laughs) try. Don't say that. You probably do fine. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. And if it starts looking sad, you can always send it back to Norfolk Island, which is down by Australia. Let's head over to Collinsville and go into Cindy's yard. Hi, Cindy. Uh, Yes, I have a question about my Rose of Sharon. Uh, It usually stands about six, seven feet tall. But the other morning when I looked out my front window after we'd had the rain and the hard freeze during the night, the top of the Rose of Sharon was touching the ground. Whoa. And... uh, it's planted, my front yard is slanted, so it's up on a little hill. It's mm-hmm. on an incline. Right. And the root ball uh, pulled out 
somewhat. There's about, oh, I don't know, six, seven inches of the root ball out, and now that the icicles have melted off of it, it's about two or three feet off the ground. But what do I do with it now? Basically, any of the exposed roots, they're probably fine. They were probably always exposed. Just put a couple inches of mulch over that. And the flexibility, Rosa Sharon are pretty flexible. So I don't think there's been any damage by the fact that it was, you know, the weight of the ice or snow or whatever, you know, caused it to weep over. But what you can do is if you are concerned, Rosa Sharon is a summer bloomer like butterfly bush and, and crepe myrtles. So you can prune it if you want. And you'll still get flowers this upcoming summer. So but how do cut. I get it to be uh, stand up again? It's it's only about two or three feet off the ground. So the whole thing, the whole thing's leaned over. Yes. Oh, yeah, the entire. Oh, I thought you meant just some of the branches. No, no, no. Oh. Down to the very top of the tree, which is about seven feet tall. The whole <laughs> entire. <laughs> That's not good because tree was laying on the ground. Yeah, what's going to happen is if you try to upright it, probably there's been a lot of damage to the feeder roots anyway from the fact that it, you know, got the roots got torn when the weight of whatever caused it to, you know, bend over like that. But uh, you could try to, you know, push it back up and then use some stakes and use some, uh, you know, landscape. I, I I don't want to say wire, but rope. You know, something that's really flexible. And uh, you could use wire, but make sure that anything that touches the uh, the bark or the trunk of the Rosa Sharon, you put a piece of hose there so it can't re- rub it, and mm. do three okay. stakes to get it back upright. But it's it doesn't sound good, to be honest. Mm. Should I wait till warmer weather to do that, or do it now? It won't it won't make any difference, to be honest. I would probably wait a little bit until at least it gets a little bit warmer. But if uh, if it's bothering you, and go online and look at you know where to place the three stakes. You want to you know have it pulled back up straight. So if you can get out there and you want to do it as soon as you can, that's fine. Or you can wait until the weather gets a little bit warmer. Okay, but it's kind of iffy whether it can survive this. Exactly, because you know all the feeder roots have probably been torn loose by the fact that it tipped over like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the weight of all that ice on it. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you for the information. Sure. Appreciate your help. Mm, bye. Yeah. And now let's go over to Randy's yard. Hi, Randy. Good. Good morning. Good morning. See, I uh, last year I had a bumper of lantana, and I saved the seeds, and I want to grow some from seed this year. Any suggestions? I know I have to soak the seeds first, but uh, other than that. So you said you've had success growing lantana from seed in the past? No. No, I bought the plants at the store. Yeah. And I just saved the seeds from last year. Yeah, so those little, like, round, dark-colored dots, basically. That's it. Mm -hmm. And growing them from seed is going to be iffy at best. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So you could try it, but I wouldn't expect you to get anything to grow. And if you do get something to grow, it is going to take multiple years because it is really a shrub. You know, I mean, it may be a low-growing shrub or something along that line, but lantana is not something that's an annual. So, in other words, you can't just put the seeds and expect it to be a plant within one year. So you're looking mm-hmm. at multiple years to get the lantana. First of all, you can get it to germinate, but to get become a plant like what you had in the you know last year is going to be several years. 
Oh, I'm not going to wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be worth the effort, to be honest. Back to the nursery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate it. Well, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we still got a few minutes. 314. 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. This is a time of year where we're getting really close to being, you know, if you have a landscape service or a tree service to spray dormant oil. And what this is is an oil that's sprayed into the trees. It covers all kinds of different insects, insect eggs, and everything else, and suffocates them. So usually, I mean, it's a little bit early. But uh, sometime within the next three or four weeks, the dormant oil should be sprayed into your trees, especially trees if you've had problems with insects. So let's head over to Doris's yard. Hi, Doris. Or Dolores, sorry. This is Dolores. Hi, Dolores. And I want to know, I always had uh, poppies growing in my yard, and they died, and I cannot get anywhere where I cannot find where I can buy poppies seed. And I'd like to know where I can get them. Uh, I would, you go to a regular garden center? Uh, I don't have any close around. Oh, probably do you, I mean, do you have access to the internet? No. Oh, that's going to be. (laughs) Also, I'd like to know uh, what is the fast growing flowering vine besides clematis? Probably clematis is not all that fast growing. Uh, let's say red trumpet honeysuckle is pretty fast and it is evergreen. If you want an annual vine, morning glory, moonflower, those type things, but that's, you know, you have to plant the seeds every year for them. Okay. Well, and, and as far as the poppy seeds, um, most, of, most of, let's say, larger seed racks should have poppy seeds on them. Or in them, rather. I couldn't find them at Walmart. Well, I don't know if they're, they're seed racks. So just go to, a let's say, a year-round garden center. And their seed racks, they, they're not going to have full seed racks yet. Wait for another couple weeks. Then they'll have the full seed racks. And I usually don't see poppies, you know, plants for sale. People usually grow them from seed. Okay, thank you. Certainly. Yeah, that's a tough one. And now let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hi. Yes, I got a question. Um, I got four. I got four pin oaks in my front yard, roughly forty-five years of age, and one of the pin oaks last year lost its leaves, probably uh, late June, early July, and uh, all the leaves went uh, came off and uh, fell. But uh, the other three were fine. So I'm not sure if uh, there's something going on. Didn't know what I could do or, you know, if the tree's uh, kaput. <laughs> the tree's probably not kaput. But if generally pin oaks hold on to their leaves through most of the wintertime. So it had some real trauma. So uh, exactly what it was to cause this one tree. How close are these trees to each other? Oh, they're roughly uh, 30 35, 40 feet uh, spread, maybe 50. But uh, the trees, uh, you know, they, they're all straight, healthy. Right. You know, I, I trim, have a tree service trim 
whatever, the low low branch. But uh, uh, generally, uh, they've been great trees. But the one tree on the far left lost its leaves, and I couldn't figure out why or what. But anyway, uh, didn't know if I, I'm going to lose a tree or what. It doesn't look like uh, uh, any different than the other trees right now, but, you know, wasn't you can, sure. Yeah, you're not able to see what the buds look like. I would say don't get into no. a panic and have a cut down or anything. And I would, you know, is there a possibility there may be the gas line going to your house runs underneath this tree? Because for a tree to do that, you know, to go brown and lose its leaves that quickly, that means something major has happened. And usually it's going to be something underground, either a water line, gas line or something like that is leaking. Okay. Well, I didn't think about that. I mean, there, there's uh, electric and uh, gas in that direction, but I, I couldn't imagine that the gas line would be leaking. It's one of those uh, continuous uh, plastic lines right? and everything, so I can't imagine that be uh, whatever, leaking. But uh, That would be, you, I know, mean, I, I, it, you know, my thinking I know, is I it has that, to be something physical underneath the ground. Okay. Underneath the ground, because I mean, I I had tree service trim the trees, you know, because you know how the pin oaks the the, the the branches run out, right, and then they droop and everything. So I mean, these are large pin oaks. I mean, they're they're got to be forty five years old, right. And uh, uh, so anyway, I keep pruning them up, which so is the fine. Branches aren't hanging hanging so low to the ground, or you know the the ones. But and I didn't know if that had an effect on it or what, but the tree service said he would come back and do a deep root feeding and uh, on the one tree, or, well, all of them, but, uh, you know, and then see where it goes. But uh, I didn't know if there's anything else I should do. No, there's really not. You know, a fully mature tree that looked healthy all until just once and it went wham, that to me says something's under the ground. Okay, because I, I that's the first time it's ever happened. Right. And, uh you know, the, the, the trees always held their leaves all the way to, you know, spring. Right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, most of them. But yeah, exactly. So anyway, wasn't sure. But I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. And now let's see if we can get to Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi. Hi. Uh, I got some questions about some uh, nut trees I have. I have uh, some pecan trees, a, some hickory trees and a hipcon, and some of the nuts get like a little wormhole in them, and I'm thinking about maybe buying some like nematodes to put down to help with that is one question I have, if uh, you would comment about that. And uh, the uh, hipcon tree I have, it has a lot of nuts on it, and some of them, some of them have the wormholes in them, but the uh, rest of the nuts don't seem like they fill, fill in, like maybe it's not pollinating or something like that. Uh, is there anything I can do about that? No, pretty much not. I mean, either, you know, the nematodes could certainly help, but, uh, you know, the holes in the nuts, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a, a real tough circumstance to get under control. So you could try the nematodes and see what you think. You could try maybe having a dormant oil spray sprayed onto your trees to see if whatever's causing the problem, you could suffocate it. Do, doing something along that line would be my recommendations. Okay. And uh, what about the hickons, uh, you know, which is like a cross between uh, a pecan and, and a hickory? Right. Okay. Uh, that's, you know, that's a not a really strong tree in the first place because it is a hybrid. 
So what you know what's happening with that? It's really tough to say. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And you could have a tree service come out and not sure where you live, but uh, also the uh, University of Illinois Extension Service could come out and take a look at it too. So go to okay. the you know the county Extension Service and have them come out and look. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. And I want to thank everybody for calling in today and for listening. I certainly appreciate you having me on your show. It's been great fun. It will continue to be great fun as long as, uh, you know, KMOX says I can play in the garden. I will continue to play in the garden. And just watch out because now is the weather starting to, you know, even though it still feels like winter and it is still winter, it's, you know, Things are going to be changing real soon. We're starting to get, we're going to start seeing witch hazels and cornelian cherries and things along that line. Cornelian cherry, which is a, a say a cousin to the dogwood, only doesn't look anything like a dogwood. Things are going to start blooming, and at that same time, then insects are going to start being out and about. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law